Okay, um, today we, we got a reading, a, a wonderful reading, an apocalyptic reading. Probably won't find it on a Hallmark card anywhere anytime soon. <laughs> it's about earthquakes and the sun going dark and the moon not rising and tribulation like never has been seen before and never will be seen again. All that stuff, yeah, apocalyptic. Will Williman. Uh, the, the Dean of Duke Chapel, while I was there, told a story about his young pastorate. He said that he was a young Methodist pastor serving in Greenville, South Carolina. Across the street from his new church was a house and a family that was so disheveled. They, the grass was never mown. Uh, there were car parts strewn throughout the yard. He had oftentimes hear fighting and bickering and yelling and he came to understand that the man was an alcoholic, and in his alcoholic rage, he would take it out on his wife. And the kids, the poor kids, never had clean clothes. And so Pastor Willeman went over there to introduce himself. And he said, hi, I'm the new preacher in town. And they said, well, good to meet you. And he just extended an invitation. We'd love to have you in church this Sunday. Come to worship with us. Lo and behold, they did. The man and his wife and his three kids, they were all in worship together. It shocked Will. The woman actually became a member of the women's auxiliary for a time. And the guy started going to the men's group a little bit. And the kids started attending MYF some, the youth group. It was like a total transformation was occurring. And then they stopped coming altogether. For six months, Will didn't see this family in church again. Then one day he noticed the yard was all cleaned up. He noticed that the trash was picked up and he hadn't heard cursing and yelling from over there for some time. And then he saw the guy on the streets of Greenville, South Carolina, three-piece suit, interviewing for a job, cleanly shaven, clearly sober. And he said to the guy, where have you been? You hadn't been in church. He said, no offense, pastor, for your folks. Y'all were real nice to us. Y'all welcomed us in. I got to know a few guys. My wife enjoyed the high tea at the ladies' auxiliary. And your youth group had some fun games for the kids. He said, but we were a mess. Our family was a mess. We ended up joining the fire-baptized Pentecostal Church of the Second Coming. <laughs> and I got convicted. I got saved. I came forward and be got baptized I stopped drinking, and the old lady and I, well, we're on the men's. He said, no offense, pastor, but your church offered me aspirin for my soul, but what I really needed was massive chemotherapy. The guy didn't want milk toast. He didn't want pablum. He needed massive chemotherapy. He needed his foundations shaken, shaken up to realize where he had gone off track and then to be re-knit together in Christ Jesus. He needed that, and we need that. Chapter 13 of Mark's Gospel is all about that. Apocalyptic stuff. Jesus revealing what the end times will look like. And the images he uses are startling, and they're shocking, and they're foundation-shaking, and they're cosmic. And I hope there will be massive chemotherapy for us. Because I know we Anglicans, sometimes we'll coast through our worship service and 
we'll get to the creed and say, oh yeah, he'll come again to judge the living and the dead, and it's kind of like a piece of aspirin, but it ought to be shocking. It ought to be massive chemotherapy for the soul to claim that Jesus is going to come back and make things right again. So I want to look at that. Three spiritual treatments that chapter 13 offers us for the soul. Dislodging our trusted idols, number one. Revealing the glory of the Lord for the church. And bringing us hope in the midst of tribulation. Now I'm going to go outside of our reading today a little bit. Chapter 13, verses 1 and 2. If you have your Bibles, follow with me. It says this, And Jesus came out of the temple, and one of the disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what wonderful stones and what wonderful buildings there are at the temple. You know what Jesus said? He said, do you see these great buildings? There will come a day very soon will not one stone will be left on a stone. They're all going to be thrown down. You get the gravity of that? You hear the weight of that? This temple made by human hands is glorious, but you think it has enduring power. You think it has permanence. You think it's something to be trusted. He said, it's all coming down. It's all coming down. In fact, God had to keep reminding them of that. Way back in Jeremiah chapter 7, God says to the people of Israel, amend your ways, amend your deeds, and I'll let you dwell in the temple made by hands. He said, but do not trust in deceptive words. This is the temple of the Lord. This is the temple of the Lord. This is the temple of the Lord. Don't trust in deceptive words. You know what he's saying? He's saying, Some, you built this house for me so that it would direct the people to my glory, and now you're trusting in the temple of the Lord. How easily our eyes can shift from the glory of the Most High God to the material things around us. Tim Keller wrote a wonderful book about this called Counterfeit Gods. I highly recommend it. It's about idols that we create for ourselves. And he says two things in there I want to point out. Anything can serve as a counterfeit God, especially the very best things in life. Like a temple. It was meant for God's glory. It's a good thing. But it became a God thing. They were worshiping the temple. Keller goes on to say, one sign that you've created an idol in your life is when you get a false sense of security from that idol, a sense of security that's supposed to come from God alone. Idols are seductive and they're deceptive, and we lean on them for security when we ought to be leaning on God. It would have been easy for those disciples. The temple had been there about a thousand years at this point. Renovated now, starting in 20 B.C. with King Herod the Great, now it was twice the size, twice the footprint of Solomon's temple. Some of those stones that Jesus pointed to that day were over 50 tons. They could not imagine a time when there would not be stone upon stone when the temple of God was raised to the ground. It was one of the great wonders of the ancient world. And yet in 70 A.D., it was destroyed by the Romans. Not one of those disciples that day could have believed it, but Jesus predicted it. There will be a day when not one stone will be left on stone, but the whole thing will be thrown down. Now that's strong medicine that dislodged the idols of the human heart. Don't trust in the material world. 
and the things you can see around us, for it's all decaying. It's all coming down. Don't believe me? Look over at Scarden Hall. That thing is decaying. It's all coming down. <laughs> and, and later, John will give a clearer picture of this in Revelation chapter 21. He said it on the last days. He said, I saw no temple in the city. No temple, no church. Why? For the temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And he said, in the city of God there will be no sun or moon to shine upon it. Why? For the glory of God will be the light of God's city, and its lamp will be the Lamb of God. You don't need these things. You need God to be your light, to be your salvation. God alone endures. He's dislodging our idols. And not only the idol of buildings, but he goes on. Verse 8, he says, basically, don't trust your nation. We have a great nation. I love America. But he said, one day, nation will rise up against nation. They're going to destroy themselves. Our citizenship happens to be in heaven, folks. So while we have earthly leaders, we should not give them the power of Jesus in our lives. In verse 12, it says, family, which is God's design and God's ideal he said, don't trust your mama, don't trust your daddy, not in the place of God. He said in verse 12, one day brother will rise up against brother and put them to death. And even fathers will deliver their children to death. Even family shouldn't be placed in the place of God in your life. Everything that they thought was concrete and trustworthy will come down in the great tribulation. Verse 8 says the earth's going to quake. And the sun, which rises every day in verse 24 and 25, will go dark. And the moon that we count on to be there every night will be no more. And in verse 25, it says, even the stars will fall from heaven. And the powers of the heavens will be shaken, massively dislodging everything we've put up as an idol. Crutches knocked out from under us so that we can see the lordship of Jesus more clearly. And let's look at that. Here's the good news. The glory of the Lord is revealed in this. When every idol's gone, all we have left is Jesus and his glory. And here's the, here's the good news. Chapter 12 of Daniel today that we read promises that those who have their name written in the book of the Lord, written in God's book of life, they shall be delivered. So in the midst of tribulation, when all this happens, if you, by the grace of God, are written in that book, then you will be delivered from the, from the persecution and tri tribulation. In Revelation, it says that God's protection will be on those whose name is written in the Lamb's book of life. You see, here's the deal. Tribulation and, and deliverance from it is based on God's good grace, God's good protective measures in our lives. And it's not of what you've done or left undone. This passage is not to make the faithful fearful, but to give you confidence. And here's why. Because when the Lamb came the first time, in just a couple chapters in Mark's Gospel, the sun will go dark at midday. And Matthew said that the earth quaked on the day that the Lord gave his life for us. You see what's happening? He is suffering our tribulation for us in the middle of time. That at the end of time, when he comes again, we might not have any tribulation, no guilt, no fear to behold his appearing. 
but that we might joyfully be reclaimed by our Lord. Paul says later that nothing, chapter 8, verses 39 of Romans, nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. We're written in his book. We're marked as his forever. No tribulation can come to us. Jesus wins, so we win. Look at verse 26. And on that day they will see the Son of God, of man, appearing, coming in the clouds with power and great glory. What does that coming in the clouds mean? You know, some people have an idea of Jesus kind of surfing down on the clouds at the end of days. Not that, okay? Remember clouds in the Old Testament? Moses would go up on the mountain to meet at Mount Sinai with God, and sometimes there would be clouds and smoke, and, and the glory of God would surround him, and he, he said it's like a cloud. Jesus goes up on the Mount of Transfiguration with Peter, James, and John, and, and it says the cloud enshrouded them and encompassed them. That's the glory of God, the Shekinah glory of God. And here it says, when Jesus comes again, he's going to be in the cloud. He's going to be the fullness of God coming to rescue his people. He's going to come with power and great glory to set things right again. In verse 8, Jesus says, yeah, these tribulations, they're going to get worse. Even the people of the church and the truth of God will be brought before tribunals, before kings, before councils. You're going to be persecuted for your faith. Sounds a lot like the growing tension right now between the people who are believers and the non-believers. He said, but all these things are birth pains. It's like a woman who's going through the last little bit of labor right before something beautiful is being birthed out into the world. Isn't that what Jesus promised in Revelation? Behold, I'm making all things new. When all things are stripped away, there will be a new heaven and a new earth where there will be no more suffering, no more pain, no more cancer, no more war, no more racism, no more violence. Jesus will come in the clouds with power and great glory. And all this should give us a sense of hope in the midst of our tribulations you know, the world's going to growingly hate the church and hate the truth. We already see it today. Jesus promises something in verse 11, though, even before we get to the end of days, that the Holy Spirit's going to be there to guide us and to lead us and to give us words to defend ourselves in the darkest times of tribulation. So the Holy Spirit's with us, and Jesus will come in power and great glory. And finally, he's coming to get us. Look at verse 27, last verse. Then Jesus on that day will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds and from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. The hope there is Jesus will never leave us nor forsake us throughout all the tribulation. In fact, he's coming to get us victorious, the Lamb of God who sits upon the throne. And if he sits in victory, guess what? We sit in victory with him. So today, we endure because we're in Christ. So radical chemotherapy. I said at the beginning at, that this apocalyptic word is about dislodging your idols. So what are your idols? What have you come to trust in more than Jesus Christ? Is it a church building? I know some of us do. Some of us are all balled up in worry about the church and where the, the land is going to go and all kinds of stuff. We, but maybe that shows we begin to lean on that a little too much. Maybe it's your job, your success, your wealth, even your family. Jesus says brother against brother. 
Where your, where's your primary comfort, your place of security? This is meant to dislodge that place and put the lamb who is the light of God back on the throne. Secondly, are you going through a tribulation right now? Maybe it's not end time tribulation, but maybe cancer has visited your family. Maybe you've got trouble at school or your job, or maybe you've gotten all balled up over the last political election cycle. You allow it to steal your joy. Today you need to remind yourself of who reigns. Jesus reigns. He's the one that's coming back for his elect. I love it when what he says in John 14. He said, guys, I'm going away, but I'm going to prepare a mansion for you. A beautiful place in heaven is glorious in my Father's house. And one day I'll come back to get you and take you to where I am, so that where I am, you may be also. He's coming in power and great glory in the Shekinah cloud of God to get us. So in this tribulation, we don't need aspirin. We need massive chemotherapy. Let the great physician to do his work in your life, to dislodge any idols, any fears that you have, to draw your face back to the glory of the Lamb, who is the light of the world, who's coming with power and great glory, and to rest in the fact and the hope that he's coming to gather us one day, folks, and we will have victory because he is victorious. In Christ we pray. Amen.